0: Hello, this is Steven Keeler on the Art and Science of Transformation. Today we're going to continue on reading my best-selling book, Leap, But How Will I Live, Eat, or Pay for Gas? A Journey from Fear to Freedom. Hope you all are doing well. Here we go. Chapter 8, How the Universe Conspires for Us. December 3rd, 2003. It keeps getting better. Back to my real estate deals. As you recall, before flying to Georgia, I'd received an offer on the second lot that would net me 20 grand. My original intention was to purchase this second lot and build on it, as Rosalani and I are trying to do on the first lot. But since I could not seem to find a way to finance the second lot, I asked and followed spirit, which led me to contact Evelyn. By following your advice, I was selling the second lot for 20 grand more than I intended to pay for it myself. This means I'll make 20 grand on a deal that my mind was stumped on. This is a good thing. Better. But yesterday, to bring it more into the present, my project manager, Rosalani, offered me an even better deal for more money, which I quickly accepted. My only concern is whether Rosalani can get the money together in time for the December 15th closing date, which is 12 days from now, because the seller said he would not extend the timeframe for me. So while her deal is better, I am still a little worried about the transaction closing in time and losing out on a $20,000 gain. But considering the fact that just a few days ago, I had no known read in my mind way to do anything with this second lot to now making more than 20 grand on it with nothing invested. Wow. Best. And then, during dinner tonight, out of left field, my father offered to be my partner and give me the cash to buy the second lot outright. This not only guarantees that the transaction will close on time, but allows me to realize my and Rosalani's original intention, which was to buy, this, buy the lot and build on it and make a much larger profit in the end. This is a perfect example of synchronicity. There's no way my mind could have figured all this out. No, it's simply an incredible case in point of putting out my intentions and letting all that is bring me everything I wanted and more. There was only one catch. I'd have to get out of the deal I'd already struck with Rosalani. This could be a little sticky because I knew she really wanted the lot too. The last thing I wanted to do was piss her off since she was looking after my financial affairs. I called Rosalani a couple times and left messages to no avail. And as you you remember, sometimes she doesn't return her calls. So on the way home from Georgia, as I was getting off one plane and walking to the gate for my next flight, my cell phone rang. I generally don't have it on when I'm in an airport, but I did today. It was Rosalani. I asked her if I could get out of the deal we'd made. And she said, no problem. This is better for you. And I was just trying to help you out. That's another synchronicity. So I'm a partner in a property purchase that I have no money for the best possible scenario. And don't lose the point here, because my, quote, daddy bought me the lot. The point is, I asked on 11-26-2003, and the universe, God, whatever word we use, gave it to me seven days later. When it looked as if there was no possible way, the realm of all it is, in other words, the wave side of the equation, provided the whole amount, not just making 20 grand, but having the potential hear that word potential in italics, to make a lot more. When we follow spirit, we get the whole enchilada, not just the crumbs. Also worth noting is that my dad and I, despite despite our different approaches to work and life, have a very long and positive history of partnerships, which have always been more than fair for me. And my dad is a great partner, even if we don't see eye to eye philosophically. I think, the point that, I think the point that is becoming more and more evident is that I am learning to be more of the cause or creator instead of the effect or victim. December 8, 2003. On cane spiders, roosters, and wild horses. Back on the island, I'm lying in bed beginning to doze off and I feel something crawling on my leg. I turn on the light, whip up the covers, nothing there. Then I glance to my left, and clinging to the electrical outlet on the wall, there's a big mother and then effing spider, a cane spider. Cane spiders look kind of like turbocharged tarantulas. They are huge and move at lightning speed because they eat roaches, and God knows we have roaches on the island. I decide I'll leave him be, even though he's maybe only four feet away. I don't want to kill him, and I really don't want to get out of bed and mess with him anyway. Cane spiders can bite, but they don't usually bother people. I can tell you, though, they scare the shit out of me. The next day, I'm driving my Mustang GT, a car that doesn't have much headroom in it. Out of the corner of my eye, I see something move out of the defroster vent on the dash. Guess what? Another freakin' cane spider. It crawls across the dash and climbs up onto the bar that separates the windshield from the door jam. In other words, about four inches from my face. I almost rear-end the guy in front of me as I'm trying to drive and watch the SOB at the same time. What the hell do I do? Number one, I don't like spiders. And number two, there's no way you smash one of these suckers with your hand, especially when it's inches from your face. I mean, what if I don't get all of him? My mind is racing. I'm wondering if I could roll down the window and try to sweep him out. But what if he jumps in my lap? I have shorts on. No fricking way. So as soon as I can, I pull off the road and get out. The thing is now crawled above the sun visor and I can't see him anymore, but he's there. He has to be. I don't want to smash him with the sun visor because it could make a hell of a mess. I say to myself, okay, I'll whip down the sun visor and he'll fall onto the driver's seat and then I'll brush him out. I yank the visor down, he falls onto the seat as planned and immediately disappears between the seat and the console. Now I'm really fucked. I can't see him anywhere. So I get out one of my golf clubs out of the back and start fishing around under the seat, trying to either smash him or chase him out. No luck. This is not good. Maybe I should have smashed him after all. So I drive home knowing there's a big, fast-moving spider in the car. Luckily, it's still light, so I can see if anything is crawling on me. But what about later, when it's dark? I could just imagine being on a date and having that spider crawl out onto a lady friend, or worse, crawl on me. I was relieved when I realized that I wasn't going to be in my car for three weeks because I was flying to the mainland again in the morning. Maybe the spider would die from starvation or the heat or somehow just get the fuck out. Later that evening, as I was packing for my trip, I pulled a pair of pants out of my closet. And what's on them? Another damn cane spider. What's going on with this shit? I started wondering if there was a pattern here and thinking about what else had been happening. Well, a few days ago, I was returning from my morning walk. As I was returning from my morning walk, a wild rooster that was usually so friendly that I could literally pet him suddenly jumped at my face and startled me so much, I jerked back and twisted the shit out of my neck. The day after that, I was standing near a seemingly friendly wild horse someone had tamed, and it tried to bite a chunk out of me. When I swung my arm up to shoo it away, it came after me. And then this morning, the neighbors, usually mild-mannered dogs, viciously charged at me. So now, after a week of worrying, I finally decided to ask Spirit, What's with the wildlife? What am I supposed to be getting here? The answer that came was, Pay attention. And they are attracted to you, as are the dolphins, because they like the light that is shining forth from you. I asked, What do I do about them? The answer that came was this, talk to them, hear their message, especially the message to let go and be present. Well, duh. There's no way you can avoid the present when a giant spider is inches from your face or dogs are attacking you. Talking and listening to animals may sound a little crazy, but I'd been taught both by my mother, who studied American Indians, and Native American medicine people to do this. My mom was always very much in touch with animals, birds, plants, anything alive. And she encouraged me to be too. Then later in my life, when I studied with medicine people, they taught me about the importance of animal allies, their guidance, message, messages, and signs. So instead of fumigating or being eaten alive with fear, I'm supposed to pay attention even more, let go and be more diligent about being present. December 13, 2003. How about now? This morning, Garfield and I are guiding two elderly people, one of whom does not swim, out to experience the dolphins. We decide that I will be, quote, in charge of Joan, who has many fears, one of which is that she does not swim. We meet at the beach and start to get to know each other a little, and Joan asks, how are we going to do this? Well, I say, We'll have you wear that life jacket and also have you put the noodle under your hips. The only thing you need to do is just stretch out and make yourself like a surfboard. If you keep your legs straight, I will grab your feet and push you along. Garfield and I had decided to come to this particular beach because it's much easier to get into the water, get into and out of the water here, and the dolphins like to come here as well. I remind Joan, the most important thing to remember is to keep breathing and stay present. The bay is quiet, hardly a ripple on the water. It's only 7 a.m., but the humid air makes it feel warm, like 75 degrees Fahrenheit. As we look out over the bay, we don't see anything moving. And then suddenly, as if on cue, there are five, then 10 dolphins slowly swimming on the surface. Look, there they are, I say. Joan is excitingly getting her gear on and shouts, wow, they're way out there. No problem, I say. You'll see how easy this will be. There are no waves at all this morning, making our entrance into the water simple. Garfield and his swim partner are already halfway out to the dolphins. Joan and I wade out to waist deep. Okay. So remember, all you have to do is lie on top of the water and keep your legs straight behind you so I can push you. Joan's eyes fill with terror. You don't have to swim at all. The jacket will float you and I'll be your motor. Yes, but it's deep out there and what if I can't do it? I reassure her that we'll turn around and come right back in any in time she wants. Joan tentatively lies out on the water I ask her to breathe deeply and slowly. How are you right in this moment? She nods as if to indicate that she's okay. As I slowly push her along, I can now begin to hear my own breathing slow, even deep. I hear in the background under the underwater the familiar squeaking sounds of the dolphins. They are all around us. I suddenly stop pushing and Joan turns around. How are you doing? I ask. Great. How about now? She looks at me and smiles, fine. How about now? Good. You see, if we take life one moment at a time, for the vast majority of it, everything is great. As I push her, the dolphins come and swim right next to us. I can feel the tension leaving through her feet. I let go of her and swim over to a large leaf that has found its way out to where we are. Hold this in your hand and when one of them comes near, let it go and watch what happens. Just then a playful young one comes near. She reaches toward the dolphin and lets go of the leaf. The dolphin does a quick spin, comes right by her and catches the leaf on its right fin, then zooms around as if showing off to the rest of his buddies. Then it comes right near her and drops it. She looks at me, tears in her eyes. I think the dolphin just reiterated your point to stay present. It was like the dolphin was saying, pay attention to right now. Everything will be okay if I just stay present. Her grasp of the the concept made me wish I took my own medicine better. December 16, 2003. The time of your life is now. I was thinking about the movie Something's Gotta Give with Jack Nicholson and Diane Keaton and the funny scene that really drives home an important message. At one point in the movie, one character asks another, when was the last time you had the time of your life? So I asked myself the same question. I want you to consider that question too. My answer? Not any time in the recent past. I haven't been in love with anyone in a while. But the idea that it's been a long time since I can say I've had the time of my life bothers me. How about you? Do you know how many people save for their entire lives and believe that once they have enough, they'll be happy? Let's stop waiting. Over the years in my private practice, I've asked people the question, if you knew you could not fail, what would you do with your life? Many have Many have extreme difficulty answering this question, which I find to be very sad. Why so sad? Because, you see, you cannot fail. Why? First of all, do you believe in some kind of God-spirit universe? Yes? Okay, then point to the part of, of you where you think your idea of spirit either resides or connects to you. All of the people I have asked this of have pointed to their hearts. And if we bring in the idea of quantum physics, where we are both particles, in other words, limited, and waves, in other words, unlimited potential, and we have some say over from which realm we create, doesn't that sound a lot like we are God, spirit, or whatever title fits for you? Again, what do we call the entity that creates from the unlimited? Who has access to all that is? Yes, God, spirit. We'll read that again. Again, what do we call the entity that creates from the unlimited? Who has access who has access to all that is? Yes, God or spirit. Now consider for a moment the question has your idea of God ever failed? Have you ever read about God failing? Have you ever heard about God failing? Me neither. So if you follow your connection to all that is, you cannot fail. You could be having the time of your life now and always. And there's an asterisk here. If you don't believe in some sort of spiritual idea or even your own magnificence as a creator, Consider getting help to develop one, since it's an essential part of becoming more fully human. December 18, 2003, Finding Connections Today I woke feeling glum. Why? I mean, I live in paradise. I have no job. I have some money. have someone overlooking my real estate projects. In other words, my experiment seems to be going well. Well... It is Christmas time and this will be one of the few Christmases in my 44 years that I have, haven't been with my family or a significant other. I also have this ongoing feeling that I should be doing something with my life like working or slaving away or at least trying to make the world a better place in some more active way like Oprah. It's hard to sit still and allow everything to come and battling my old limiting beliefs alone is especially taxing. Since I've been here, two different kapuna have told me that I am here to, quote, take my own medicine. At this lonely juncture, I want to say, well, what the F does that even mean? Anyway, I'm sick of taking my own medicine. This morning, I decided to get up early and drive to the volcano. All along the road are stunning vistas of open, pristine, navy blue Pacific Ocean. When I get to the park, there's one particular place where you can stand on the cliff's edge and view the expanse over the crater. It feels sacred here. This is an active volcano and right below my feet, new earth is literally being created. The sun is slowly peeking over the horizon. I can see the red-orange of lava down in the crater. It was at this moment that it came to me it seems that my medicine is to be and not do being means taking each moment one moment at a time allowing everything to come and not putting any energy into anything except the here and now in my doing world world value is based on what i produced what i produce or to put it another way We base our progress on the efforts, on the effects. In other words, what is produced. Chopping wood is a great analogy for this. You must chop the wood in order to have any. If you don't chop, you have no wood. Or as my dad would say, no work, no eat. This is what we've all been taught and keeps us operating at a very low level of existence. By definition, the word, the doing world is focused on scarcity or always needing more or on the next task. It is also very narrowly focused. If I need wood, the only way to have it is by chopping it. Like the saying, if it's to be, it's up to me. On the other hand, the being world uses the unlimited resources of all that is and, as I'm now discovering, is not focused on the end product, the effect, but on the cause. In this realm, you must believe first, in other words, cause, then you see the result, in other words, effect. To me, the attractiveness of the being world is that it allows for many more possibilities. Instead of just one person, quote, doing something, you make intentions and then trust all it is to cause the desired effect. Standing in reverence here on the edge of this massive volcano, a thought came to me. If I'm in the Pacific Ocean in Hawaii and you are in the water in San Diego, 3,000 miles away, and I slap my hand on the water, the movement of the water caused by my hand theoretically should be able to be observed or felt by you in San Diego. It is the same body of water, after all. The air is the same. We're all swimming around in the same body of subatomic particles, what we call the air. So everything and everyone, all that is, are connected. I'm starting to embrace the importance of these concepts. All I have to do is intend what it is I want, and this slap on the water of all that is goes out and connects all of what needs to be connected to make my intention happen without my doing any more than intending it, trusting that it will happen and then allowing it to happen. All of this came to me as I endured my glumness. The truth is, this glumness is only my false belief that my value is judged by what I produce. This is a heavy burden, but it's slowly lessening as I let all that is, the unlimited part of me, be in charge of bringing me what I want. I'm realizing that my value is because I am, which is internal, and not the result of what I do, which is an external. I remembered a recent example of my slow transformation from doing, or lack focused to a more being-allowing, unlimited-based path. A few weeks ago, I traveled to Seattle to meet up with a bright, attractive woman that I'd met about a year ago at a seminar on healing. We'd stayed in touch by email, and while I was visiting my dad in Arizona, I decided to invite her to spend some time and play with me. She agreed, so I quickly rearranged my schedule and my stay with my dad and flew 1,500 miles from Phoenix to Seattle, where she lived. I was thinking, hoping, pining, okay, maybe this could be it, the love of my life. She wasn't. Yes, it seemed I was sliding into the, quote, doing thing again. Then from Seattle, I traveled to San Francisco to meet another wonderful woman who I thought might be her. No dice. I mean, man, I'm working hard here for this to happen. It's Christmas. I want to be with someone. I've been praying, hoping, writing it down, and all this activity seems to be leading nowhere. From the Bay Area, I drove up to my old stomping grounds, Tico, California, where I had clients waiting to see me. One day, after seeing a client, I ran into a woman whom I've always liked and felt very attracted to. Smiling, she said, "I'm kind of mad at you because you always seem to let me know that you always seem to let me know that you're coming here, but you never make time to see me. How about lunch?" Being in the moment, I said, "I'd rather have a date." She blushed, and so did I. As I walked to my car, I thought, shit, man, because of my schedule, there's no other night than tonight for a date with her. So I called her on my cell and immediately invited her out, and she accepted. And that night, we ended up making love in the sweetest way I'd ever experienced. She invited me to go moment to moment, to be in the present every second. She said, if we make love, great, if we just kiss, great, whatever, just be here in the moment with me. I can honestly say this was one of the most, if not the most, exquisite feelings I'd ever experienced. We were both able to be there in the present. The message for me is simple. Stop doing, flying all over, looking for love, agonizing over my failures. Just be present and allow what you want to come. And look what happened, one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had. I made a mental note to remind myself that this is more proof of the unimaginable, unimaginable way spirit, my connection to all it is, brings me my deepest yearnings. When I am doing, 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 because I'm afraid, I won't get what I want, then I ma- and I manifest exactly that. When I let go, be present, and know that I cannot fail, bam, there it is, literally the next day. December twentieth, two 2003, Different Perceptions After that amazing experience in Chico, I return home to Hawaii. For the last few weeks, I've been trying, also known as doing, to cultivate and grow that experience into the relationship of my dreams. And this morning, after just talking to her again, I'm lying here on my bed, totally deflated. I mean, I want to go headlong into this relationship thing. She says, let's take it slow. We barely know each other, but I feel like I could be in love, like she could be the one. After all, we shared an experience that opened a new channel of life force inside me, which made a deeper connection with spirit by going moment to moment. I thought she might want to keep on creating these kinds of moments as much as I did. I wanted her to want that as much as I do, but alas, she's unwilling, it seems. It really threw me for a loop. I feel hurt and disappointed. I keep wondering when I would find someone who really wants this too, someone who is available and ready to have the time of her life, because I'm definitely ready. She did say, though, that after the holidays, she might come and visit me in Hawaii. So I guess this show she's interested in gives me a little hope to hang on to. So what's the point here? Well, in only ten minutes of conversation, I've lost my center again. How did this happen? I hadn't stayed in the precious present. When I'd called, I started by saying I just wanted to spend a few present moments with you. Then we got off track talking about all the larger human issues like the future and the past and all that shit. And those precious moments just floated away. Yuck. To see if I could regain my balance and shake off the disappointment, I found Garfield and we went looking for the dolphins. We didn't find them, so we decided to take his dog for a swim in a nearby beautiful bay. The water was crystal clear and soothing. Immediately, my worries, fears, and delusions melted away. As if this weren't a special enough gift, as Garfield and his dog climbed out of the water, I suddenly had this urge to swim quickly back out into the bay. After swimming hard for about 50 yards, I looked straight down and saw two of the most sacred animals on this island, Honu, or green sea turtles. And they were waving at me, Spirit is everywhere if I just look and listen for it. And if I fearlessly follow the leads, life becomes astonishing. Just like yesterday, I was at my favorite local body-serving beach and could feel the presence of the humpback whales. I wanted proof that they were there, so I asked them to show me their presence. I could feel them, but I wanted to see them, too. Two minutes later, not only did they show me they were there, but one of them breached six times. Just more proof of our connectedness. December 29, 2003, Day of Reckoning. Well, today I paid the bills. Yuck. Given that I still have no steady income, this has been a real downer, one of those fetal position triggers. How long can I hold out with the present state of affairs? Seven months. Then my nest egg is gone. Money has always been a real fear trigger for me. I was taught that there isn't enough and that you must always work hard for it and save all you can because something bad could happen and you may run out. I was also taught money doesn't grow on trees. For me, money represents security, ease and joy. How can I be joyful, secure and peaceful when money is running out? Then as I signed the last check, revelation struck. I realized that I'd somehow successfully been paying my bills for years. In and of itself, this is a sort of a miracle. And now when there's a little glitch, I freak out and go into the dreaded fetal position. Oh, ye of little faith, this is a total waste of time. And as a matter of fact, a misdirection of my energy. Remember the smiling law? I'd heard of the law of attraction, like attracts like, and what you put out there is what comes back. You can't attract plastic with a magnet or attract abundance with fear. So by putting out fear vibes and declaring, oh my God, what do I do? I was actually attracting more of this to myself. Holy shit, no. Yes, as a matter of fact, that's exactly what I've been doing. But there's still the sacred part of me the scared part that's of me that says, well, that's all fine and good because in the past you had an income and savings, but now you have no job and the money is running out. So it is time to worry and fret. It's just an old habit. The reason I'm worrying and fretting is because I'm not remembering or honoring who I really am, namely spirit in a body suit. The gift of these and all negative feelings is that they are signals that I am misdirecting my energy and literally going against who I am. The truth of the matter was that I had just paid all my bills again, despite not even working. And I've got to get myself to start again and think all is well, to begin anew to notice the signs that all is well. To begin anew to develop the trust that all I have to do is allow what I want to come, and it does. In other words, instead of focusing on the negative, I've got to refocus on how my life is going well. I mean, I've been traveling, laying on the beach, playing golf, living in paradise, and paying the bills, no problem, as usual. Why would I think that this would ever change? December 31st, 2003. Don't jinx it. This morning, the last day of 2003, Garfield and I were going to swim with the dolphins. As we arrived at one of our favorite spots, I said, I know this is going to be an awesome swim. Garfield immediately jumped on me. Don't say that. You'll jinx it. This started me thinking that many of us hold, live by beliefs that say, Watch out. If we know in our heart something is good, be careful. There's something bad that can happen. Or... It's somehow bad luck to believe in what your insides, like spirit, are telling you. I knew we would have an awesome swim. Is there something out there that watches and as soon as we confidently state that we know something is good immediately turns it bad? Or will the dolphins swim away if we know they will be there? I don't think so. I'd wish, I wish I'd been taught and grown up believing that when something is good, we should enjoy it instead of worrying that there won't be enough, or it will end soon, or it must be too good to be true. In other words, something is suspect is suspect about good fortune. In fact, I wish I'd been taught that there is only good and abundance that happens, and to look for everything positive as at every opportunity successful sports psychologists use this in a more structured way when they ask athletes to visualize a great performance great teachers do this when they create a quote culture of high expect expectations for their students in other words expect success give yourself something to live up not down to and yes we did have an awesome swim with the dolphins and nothing bad happened I believe now more and more that if we say, with true conviction, I think we'll have a great swim this morning, or I think we'll have perfect weather, then we will. Watch out, though, the opposite is also true. The smiling law, that is the law that... Watch out, though, the opposite is also true. The smiling law, that is, the universe does not differentiate what it gives back to you. It simply gives back what you put out. Quantum physics also seems to support these same ideas. It's energetics, so you have to be careful what you put out there. I do at times have a growing confidence that things are good and will continue to be good. This is one of the reasons I embarked on this experiment, to see what could happen if I maintain this kind of focus and to test my and, you know, our creative power. And who wants to have a bad swim anyway? So that concludes Chapter 8 of Leap, but how will I live, eat, or pay for gas? I'd invite any questions or comments, or if you want to contact me, Go to my website, www.stephenkeeler.com or you can email me at info at and make it a great day today. Talk to you soon. Be well until then.